Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce cost and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com strange. netsuite.com strange. netsuite.com strange. I'm Laura Norton, and this is One Strange Thing, the show where we search the nation's news archives for stories that can't quite be explained. We begin in the town of Mattoon, Illinois. It's a small city and pretty quiet. No major events or attractions to draw national attention. Except for maybe the Burger King of Mattoon, a fast food restaurant that is 100% not part of the famous franchise. In fact, Mattoon's fast food joint claims that it's the first, the original, the King of Kings, established in 1952. The mass fast food chain that we all know and tolerate didn't get going until 1954 and all the way down in Jacksonville, Florida. The Mattoon version, a mom-and-pop burger joint if there ever was one, eventually took the fast food giant to court. And for once, the little guy won out and gained the exclusive right to operate within a 20-mile radius of Mattoon. Since its big win, this Burger King is legally allowed to call itself the original. You can read all about it on the restaurant's website. You can also check out the menu. It promises the usual fare, plus something called a double hooter, and ice cream courtesy of the Frigid Queen. But perhaps there is something else you should know about Mattoon, Illinois. Eight years before the Burger King opened its doors, Mattoon's residents were swept up in another story. In the waning summer of 1944, dozens of residents reported that they'd been poisoned in their sleep. They'd wake in distress, nauseated, vomiting, even experiencing partial paralysis, and their bedrooms were heavy with a strange and acrid scent. The first recorded incident was on August 31, 1944. A local man woke late in the night, struck by overwhelming nausea. He thought that his house might have filled with natural gas, that maybe his wife had left the stove on. But when he woke her to ask, he found that she was unable to move from their bed. It seemed that she was somehow paralyzed, without explanation. 
It took them both hours to recover, and they had no idea what had caused their sudden illness. There was no gas leak. Now, this August 31st story, it didn't make the newspapers, not on its own. After all, it was strange, but singular. No one heard about what had happened to that couple until September 2nd, 1944. And by then, the gas had spread. On September 2nd, the first article, a brief column in the Daily Gazette, appeared. Its main subject was an entirely different family in a different part of town. It told readers this. On the night of September 1st, a woman identified as Mrs. Ben Kearney lay in bed with her toddler. Her other child slept elsewhere in the house, and her nephew was there too. Her sister Martha was in the living room. As Mrs. Kearney dozed with her sleeping child, she gradually became aware of an odor permeating the bedroom. It was something sickly and sweet. She thought it might be the flowers that she'd planted outside the open window. But no, it couldn't be. No flower had ever smelled like that. The scent was intense and pungent, and she felt sick to her stomach. She needed to close that window. But she couldn't get up to do so, because, as she told reporters, she felt, quote, a paralysis of her legs and lower body. She screamed for her sister. So Martha opened the door and was greeted with a nauseating smell and a sister who couldn't move. So she ran next door for help, and a neighbor checked the yard while his wife phoned the police. The neighbor saw no signs of an intruder, and when the police arrived, they found... Nothing, just an open door and a frightened Mrs. Kearney who couldn't leave her bed. Her toddler was also described as ill, but the details stopped there. Newspapers don't elaborate further. Mr. Kearney drove a taxi, and he'd been out on his shift when a call came in from dispatch, saying he needed to head straight home. As he pulled up to the house, he allegedly saw something odd, a figure standing outside his bedroom window. Sometime between the police search and Mr. Kearney's arrival, a person, a man, it looked like, had moved quietly through the yard and was now peering into the Kearney home. He was described as tall and dark clothing and in a tight-fitting cap. Your classic cartoon burglar. When Mr. Kearney leapt from his car, the stranger turned and ran. Mr. Kearney tried to keep up, but it was hopeless. The stranger was gone. When Mr. Kearney ran into his home, he found his wife somewhat recovered and able to move, though she complained of a burning throat for another day. Their toddler was all right, too. But authorities were faced with questions. What had been released into the home, and by who, and why? The Daily Gazette reported that, at least at first, the most popular theory was that chloroform, or perhaps ether, had been released as a fine mist into the bedroom. Simple enough, if absolutely bizarre. But why? Well, it seems the Mattoon police suspected that robbery might be the motive. Apparently, Mrs. Kearney and her sister had been counting, quote, considerable sums of money in full view of the windows facing the street right before bed. Unfortunately for us, the Gazette didn't report why they had so much cash on hand. We hoped that they were up to something very exciting. In any case, the women and children left for a relative's house, and the story was over. 
but not for long. Because, over the next two weeks, the Mad Gasser of Mattoon would ramp up his activities. More days brought more victims. The August 31st event, the very first experience, was eventually reported, and many more followed. Residents described short-term paralysis and nausea and that rancid scent. But for the next few days, no one saw a prowler lurking outside their windows. The small police force of Mattoon was likely stretched thin, with calls coming in, always, it seems, at night, to report another chemical attack. And yet, no leads were forthcoming, not until the evening of September 5, 1944. That's when a housewife, Mrs. Cordes, made a very unpleasant discovery. The Daily Journal-Gazette tells us that, on the evening of the 5th, the Cordeses arrived home about 10 p.m., and they settled in to relax in their front room. That's when Mrs. Cordes noticed something odd. A white handkerchief snagged on the screen door on the front of the house. They hadn't seen it when they arrived home because they always came in through the back. Mrs. Cordes went to retrieve it and, for some reason, decided to smell it. She was hit with what she described as an electric current, a sensation that coursed through her body. She buckled at the knees. Within a few moments, her lips had swollen, her throat burned, and she began to, quote, spit blood. Mr. Cordes called their doctor. It took hours for the swelling and the weakness to abate. According to the Gazette, Mrs. Cordes had a theory. She thought that the prowler, that is, the gasser of Mattoon had been interrupted before he could attack. Perhaps their arrival home had frightened him off and he dropped the handkerchief in his haste. What was he going to do with it? Mrs. Cordes guessed that he'd planned to use it on their dog to be sure its barking wouldn't interrupt his work. Two more items were later discovered outside the Cordes home. Were they connected to the apparent attack? No one was sure. But there, on the sidewalk, was a tube of lipstick, and beside it, a skeleton key. There was one more event that night, the 5th of September. Yet another Mattoon resident called police to report an attempted break-in. Her description was similar to Mr. Kearney's. She'd seen a man in dark clothes, but she made no mention of gas. Looking for creepy stories? Then we might have a podcast for you. And now, presenting Rattled and Shook. Rattled and Shook is a weekly podcast that features new scary stories every episode. Kind of like this. I would hear her say things to me inside my head. I couldn't get around him. I was trapped. The other guy started to get pretty agitated. He grabbed my grandfather's oxygen hose and he cut off his oxygen. Then I started thinking, well, you know, who would be hanging around in this nowhere forest, in this nowhere area? And that's when I started looking more closely. And that's when I noticed there were several shapes. And they were slowly working their way toward me as they were moving from tree to tree. New episodes of Rattled and Shook are out every Thursday. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Over the next week, the calls absolutely flooded in. Mattoon police must have been rushing from one house to another, 
barely finishing up one report of chemical poisoning before another resident rang the station. Meanwhile, local newspapers feverishly covered the work of the villain that they called the Mad Gasser. The attacks had increased, but the mysterious figure was still rarely spotted. Mostly, people didn't know he'd visited until they were hit with that terrifying smell. Some residents speculated that he had to be an out-of-towner. Who else would do such a thing? Some thought that he was a she. They argued that only a woman would carry the makeup found at the Cordes house. Others figured that was totally unrelated. Maybe the red lipstick was a red herring. By then, the townspeople had formed vigilante squads to patrol the once quiet streets. Word had spread to neighboring states. An Ohio newspaper reported on the 11th that citizen patrols were armed in Mattoon with clubs and shotguns. By the morning of September 12th, a reported 35 people had been gassed. Those who were taken to the hospital were often diagnosed with hysteria and nothing more. But that didn't lessen Mattoon's fear of their nighttime stalker. Under mounting pressure, Mattoon law enforcement called on nearby towns and the state police force for help. They began an intensive round of interviews. Everyone was questioned and no one was presumed innocent. And on the evening of September 12th, the Journal Gazette ran this headline, Mad Gasser Limited to Four Suspects. No more genuine attacks of anesthesia reported. These suspects, who were apparently quickly whittled down to two, were not named in the paper, but one had to imagine that they had a very uncomfortable September. The police had already described the characteristics they'd expect to see in their gasser. In a town of less than 20,000, how many, quote, chemists and, quote, crackpots could there be? All the while, the Illinois State Police were asking victims to sniff various chemical samples, from mustard gas to methyl chloride, and report if any of it was familiar. The newspaper reporting around this time, the 12th and 13th of September, began to change its tone. In the Journal Gazette, it's suggested that Mattoon police suspected that many of the reports were false. Or maybe not false, but driven by paranoia. A few real attacks occur, and then a string of imagined ones. Hysteria, after all, is catching, and the town had been in a full panic for over a week. The Daily Journal-Gazette printed a long statement from the police commissioner who asked citizens to stay off the streets and to disband the vigilante gangs. Any concerned citizens, the commissioner called them chasers, who tagged along after the police, would be arrested. Perhaps this was the commissioner's idea of preparing the town to cease and desist. Because the very next day, the newspapers dropped a bombshell. On September 13th, newspapers around the country printed variations on the same headline, Ghost Gasser Branded Hoax. After comparing stories, the police felt the town was dealing with hysteria, not a rash of crimes. There was no mad gasser, None of the suspects had panned out. No evidence of attacks had been discovered at the alleged crime scenes. Police believed that they had seen their own neighbors or harmless passers-by, not a skulking anesthetist. But that's not all. 
the gas itself could be explained. In fact, the commissioner was prepared with a scientific explanation. Sure, people might have smelled something foul, caustic enough to make their noses burn, but it wasn't released directly into their homes. The commissioner said that, instead, noxious fumes from nearby wartime plants were drifting into town, carried on the wind. In particular, a diesel engine plant was to blame. They'd all just gotten a dose of those fumes, and then they'd gotten carried away. And as for the symptoms, maybe some had been real, but exaggerated. Maybe some had been imagined. Maybe swelling lips could be blamed on allergic reactions. Bodies are funny things, after all. And maybe that answer, the fumes from nearby plants, would have solved Mattoon's problems even if it made them look a little silly. Except for one strange thing. Mattoon wasn't the nearest town to the plants, not by a long shot. One resident, who was a state's attorney in a neighboring county, he told the Gazette that that statement is ridiculous. He pointed out that the diesel engine plant itself was surrounded by houses, some as close as 75 feet, and that no one in that area had complained about the fumes. And what about the first few attacks? The Kearns family didn't know of any attacks when they called the Mattoon police on the night of September 1st. They hadn't heard about the fits of paralysis that had swept into Mattoon the night before because the papers wouldn't report on such incidents until September 2nd. And yet, Mrs. Kearns, in her bed with her toddler, couldn't move. Was she imagining that? Perhaps a war plant could explain the smell that paralyzed Mrs. Kearns. But what about the man standing at her window? Mattoon was a small town, and yet Mr. Kearns didn't recognize him. If he was a passerby, out late at night, why was he dressed to fade into the shadows? And, perhaps most importantly, why did he run? Mrs. Kearns and Mr. Kearns wouldn't get an answer. The gasser, if he ever existed, seemed finished with his work. It's funny, though. There were no more reports of temporary paralysis, even from the people who lived right next door to the plant. It was just as well. The powers that be were done with the mad gasser and would hear no more of the story. They declared the reign of terror over. They said there had never been one at all. It was mass hysteria experienced by a town full of people who had been run ragged by the war and who were irritated, literally, by the war plant down the road. They were ready to get back to life as normal. Quiet Mattoon, still close to a decade away from the opening of the original Burger King and another claim to fame. Never mind that other gassers have been reported in other cities by other people. Mattoon wouldn't be having any more of it. It had been a long September. We hope you'll join us next time for another real-life story from the fine print of America's local papers. From the lives of regular people, just like you and me, 
except for one strange thing. Oh, and strangers. One Strange Thing is an entirely independent production. To support the show and to hear more of the entirely true and enticingly peculiar, join us over on Patreon. There you'll get ad-free early releases of our regular episodes, plus a full-length bonus episode every month, and plenty of other fun content. We hope you'll check it out. Please stay tuned for a moment to hear a promo from one of our favorite shows. We hope that you'll give them a listen, too. At the heart of every crime, there's a lie. In order to do this job well, you're going to have to learn to lie. But you're going to have to remember who you're lying to and when to lie and when not to lie. But a lie is only powerful if you choose to believe it. It all came out, all the story came out. It turned out he had two wives and five fiancés, that he wasn't marrying women because he loved them. He was actively impregnating women to rip them off for money, me being one of them. So why do we fall for it every time? My, my father told me at a young age, he, he, says, he says, Carl, the two easiest things to sell anybody, anything that'll improve their looks and anything that'll make them money. And that's what you want to sell. Pretend is a documentary podcast about people pretending to be someone else. I interview real con artists, snake oil salesmen, and former cult members. Anyone living a lie. Search for Pretend wherever you get your podcasts.